Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 124. Who's your hero? We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from the Gospel Underground Shedquarters in Blacksburg, Virginia, and with my good friend, second time guest now on the Gospel Underground, Mike Exton Camper, Sexy Axy, the X-Man, all the nicknames that UNC people have given you over the years. One of my mentors and favorite people on the earth, Mike Exton Camper, is joining us here. You are in Durham, right? Did I get that right? That's right. We live in Durham. Yep. Yeah. We're like eight miles from from campus, Chapel Hill, at like six miles from Duke. So we're just kind of like right in there, man. Yeah, it's, that's too close to Duke. You know, I, I had, a, did I tell you about the crisis where Kyleen was maybe wanting to go to Duke perhaps? And I was like, oh, I don't know if, uh, if I could do that, you know? And she actually asked me like, hey, would you be okay if that happened? I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. But yeah, she didn't go there. She's not going there. So thank God for that. And Tommy, my youngest Mike, I don't know if I've told you this, he's really the one, I think, who wants to be a Tar Heel. Now, he's got to apply as an out-of-state person, but I think because I graduated there, I, he gets a little put in a different pile or something. Hmm. Uh, but so we may we may send someone your way eventually. That would be unbelievable. And he's named after you. And one of the people he's named after. Did You, you knew that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Well, Mike is with us again today. We just finished a series on the podcast on human embodiment, right? The human body made by God, designed by God for the purpose. And what happens when that is like out of whack or used uh, wrongly, so to speak. And so we're not yet starting our new series. And Mike reached out to me this week and sent me a PDF of a book called Embracing Obscurity. And obscurity like unknownness and not not being the center spotlight of attention in the world. And he's like, yeah, I think you'd really like this. And I was like, man, I really do like this. I struggle with this. And also even, you know, our own ministry underground has a similar meaning. And so Mike was gracious enough. I was like, hey, you know what? We're between series. We're not yet started. I said, hey, you want to come on this week and uh, do this with me? And he graciously agreed. So Mike, thank you for joining mm-hmm. us here uh, today. Tell, tell us a little bit about this embracing. Ob- oh, let me let me real quick. I'm wearing all Carolina blue. My lights are Carolina blue. My uh, Yeti is Carolina blue. I usually don't do that because I'm the chaplain for the Virginia Tech Hokie wrestling team, Mike. But uh, today, in honor of you and our good friend Hubert Davis, Hubert Davis, head basketball coach at UNC Chapel Hill, who obviously almost won a national title, took care of Coach K twice in the most appropriate ways possible. Uh, <laughs> people ask me, don't you feel a little bad about doing that to Coach K? He's like, oh, no, we love that. We couldn't, we couldn't, inv- I, I giggled for two days after we won uh, in the Final Four. Um, Hubert it was, Mike, involved with you in your ministry with Athletes in Action and was a fifth year senior, I believe, maybe maybe just the fourth year, I can't remember, but he was a senior when I was a freshman, I think. Mm-hmm. And one of the first Bible studies I ever attended during one semester was with Hubert and Henrik Rodel, I believe, another basketball mm-hmm. player from Sweden or something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so people were like, hey, is Hubert the real deal? I was like, no, he's a wonderful, wonderful brother in the mm-hmm. Lord. And uh, we had that wonderful experience of, and I'm, I'm, you're still involved and connected with Hubert, I believe, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a good friend. He's a good friend like you. And, you know, when I think of your story and his story, and frankly, all of the believers' story, it's just there's a the grace of God. It's just, I like to say, you know, where do you see the fingerprints of God? Yeah. And 
is, you know, God's sovereignty, how he brings people together when you're not even trying. And I remember Hubert spoke for us at an athletes in action meeting a couple years ago. And he said, you know, like, it seems like some of the best things that have happened in his life, he did not plan. Wow. Yeah. And, you, you know, you just see, well, God's just going to work. And, you know, the thing I, I want for my own life, but, you know, struggle with is like the Lord's prayer, like, Lord, let your will be done. Yeah. Like I have to just daily surrender your will be done, not mine. Yeah. You know, it's about your kingdom. It's your power. It's for your glory. And that's probably some of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. The tension and, you know, the, the battle that we have of, I just, I kind of want to be noticed, but, but then not too much, That's right. you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with what we're going to talk about. Well, you add in highly competitive athletics, which is glorified quite literally in our culture and growing up, you and high level baseball, me and wrestling football, uh, you're told constantly like to be the best work hard, you know, achieve something. If you're a winner, you know, and you get a lot of attention. Newspapers write about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, people show up and want to talk about where your si- signing date, you know, they, you sign stuff that, Hey, you're going to chapel. I know people in my high school are super proud that I went to, and, and that's, that can become really twisted when you're trying to live as a Christian where you want glory to go to God and not to us. Right. And, uh, it becomes very, very difficult. In fact, Mike has worked with athletes and we have a series on, on the podcast called underground saints. We, you actually, your first time you were on with us, I called your episode that there's been several others, a friend of mine, Britt Malcolm's dad, Craig, Craig Malcolm, who's, who's now with the Lord, uh, another friend in Boston planting churches in obscurity, right? Not a famous person. Uh, Mike, you exemplified doing good work with people, right? Who, want you know sometimes the culture wants to put the spotlight on them men like hubert um and you do good work for years um without seeking at least in my opinion i know you know your heart and you, you'll probably share some of that but in my opinion you've exemplified this to me um being someone who's not trying to just be hey this is all about mike exencamper mm-hmm. uh, but rather service to others for the sake of christ so that they might know him and honor him. And, and so uh, not surprising that you found a book called Embracing Obscurity. Tell us a little bit about that book and how you kind of came across mm-hmm. it. Yeah, one of the guys that mentors me in our Athletes in Action staff uh, just emailed me the PDF. It was like, hey, this is not, it's not a finished thing. The author is anonymous. Yeah, it's literally you know, you anonymous. Yeah, the, the author. Anonymous. We don't know who wrote this. Did you write it, Mike? I did not. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was. I just was wondering. I think I was wondering who wrote this. Like, was just who wrote it? Yeah. But I, it was. It was also at a point. You know, I've changed some roles. Uh, still working at UNC, but work more in four different states as the regional director. And you know, so your your roles change somewhat, and you you serve people. You want to help people. But I just started wrestling more, uh, also grieving with COVID, my yeah. brother's death. There was yeah. just a number of things, you, get, you know, get, just kind getting of old, getting with. older too, right? Your kids are growing. Yeah. Kinda, in the stage I mean, of life or, kinda, yeah. yeah. Family things, a lot of things go on. And as I started reading the book, I just thought, Lord, this is like hitting my heart. Mm-hmm. And it, it, cause I just feel like the older we get, you know, the more, 
God reveals the sin of our heart to us. And it's just ugly. It just is ugly. And as I was reading, just like, wow, I I try to be significant. I want to be noticed. You know, I want to be appreciated and all these things. And it just seemed like to be speaking the language of what my soul was experiencing and going through. But instead of thinking shame, like, oh, man, you're such a screw up. Why does God even put up with you? (laughs) It was more of, you know, the gentle and lowly embracing of Jesus, like, come to me. I want to, I want, I want to, you know, love on you. I, I, so it was more inviting, like, Hey, I, I know I struggle with this, but I want to em, embrace what God's trying to do in my life. And so I just started noticing, you know, the humble King of Jesus, what true success means, what significant means. Yeah. And it just seemed to be coming up more and more in my life personally, but also in conversations with other people. Amen. Well, thank you for being another person who forwarded the PDF to me. And, and I found it intriguing as well, looking at the chapter headers. And then I did want to see if, if the person, I actually had this thought cause I'm cynical. Uh, I was like, yeah, this person's writing a book on obscurity. I, I bet they're like, got a book deal and an author and and there's no author, which I was so happy about. Like, wow, there's no author. This is great. So somebody's not even taking credit for, uh, for this book, which is really encouraging. And, and I think Mike, you, you, you pulled some quotes for me that, you know, I'd love for you to share a few of them Mm -hmm. um, because this is a, a cultural reality, right? We're in a, you know, people have written about how, you know, People are taking pictures of themselves and putting filters on it. And everything is about me and my, you know, everything spotlight me. Don't mess with me. And, you know, we kind of demand our rights, demand our glory. Everyone's trying to stand out from this blob of humanity. Right. And this is part of our culture. That's means it's part of us. And so some Mm -hmm. of the quotes you shared with me were great. And I Mm -hmm. I, I know you're going to read a few for us. Yeah. I'll just start with one. It was a very beginning introduction basically he was going through a number of different people and what we have in common. And then he said, we're all drunk. <laughs> and then he go. I'll just read it. He says, in our defense, the epidemic is so common that most of us don't even know we're under the influence. We're confused. We're blinded. We're wandering around like sailors at dawn. But then again, so is everyone else. So why should we be alarmed? But this unsuspected poison is simultaneously numbing us, diverting our attention from the kingdom and undermining the very gospel of Christ. We're drunk, all right. We're intoxicated with a desire to be known. This is what stood out to me. To be known, recognized, appreciated, and respected. We crave to be a somebody and do notable things to achieve our dreams, and to gain the admiration of others, to be something, anything other than nothing. Yeah. So that, that was, the, that was like the introduction paragraph. And so that <laughs> grab, I'm thinking, okay, okay. I'm all in. I got to keep reading this. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And Mike and I talked about this a little bit before we started uh, recording on air, so to speak about like, well, Hey, is it wrong to be recognized, appreciated, respected. Like if you're a supervisor or a boss of somebody, um, I think we ought to do that. Like if you see some good work done by one of your employees, you ought to, 
you know, praise that, say, hey, great job. Uh, human beings delight in that. Now, we'll get into the, the why and what of that and the twistedness of it, but what he's talking about, when the prime goal of your soul is me, um, people will do anything to be recognized, appreciated, and respected, to try to be somebody, uh, rather than the call of Christ is to be a servant of all. The greatest in the kingdom, right, is a slave, quite literally, of, of all. It's this upside-down reality. If you really want to find your life, it's not by trying to be somebody. It's mm-hmm. about glorifying the one who rec- really is a somebody, Jesus himself, so that we can find freedom from the, uh, the freedom of self-forgetfulness, so to speak. And so... The call to embrace this obscurity, to be willing to do things with a different motivation, not simply to be seen and acknowledged. We're not working for those points and prizes. And if somebody we love and respect or a parent says, hey, good job, it, that's great. God, God's going to say that in the end in the kingdom, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm-hmm. And God won't overlook things. But there's something really twisted that happens, right, Mike? when we're just going after that. Um, Describe a little bit about why going after this kind of uh, chasing all that, uh, why why would that be a bad thing for us as followers of Jesus? Mm, I'm glad you put as followers of, of Jesus on that. And with the Lord's Prayer, the focus, you know, Disciples said, Jesus teaches to pray. They pray like this. And then, you know, it's, it's talking about the kingdom of God. It's talking about with God's power, and it's talking about for God's glory. Yeah. You know, if he's God, that means we're not, mm-hmm. and we make terrible gods, just terrible gods. But there is something, he's made us in our in his image, so there's something about wanting to honor, wanting to make a difference, things like that. But if it is about his kingdom and power and glory, then if I'm kind of usurping or stealing that as a believer consistently, yeah. then I'm kind of just playing the game. Yeah. I'm kind of, I want to be noticed actually more, but I'm going to say that, well, God, you be glorified, especially when we pray. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, Lord, would your will, you know, you be glorified. But in our heart, as a believer, I might be thinking, yeah, but I I really want people to notice me. Yeah. So that, like, when we leave this talk or, or small group, people are thinking, man, Reed, thank you. That is, yeah. that's like one of the best things I've ever heard. Yeah. My life has changed because of your You're words. You're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You're awesome. Yeah. So, you know, as a Christian, you can walk away just, and I don't think we just deny that. I think there's a two-way conversation going on. It yeah. should be yeah. like, if somebody compliments you, Reed, it's like, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. But in our hearts, it's like, but, but Lord, thank you for what yeah. you're doing. God has been and it's not just solely, oh yeah, I'm just so great. Yeah. And for people in America, this is a big shift, you know, becoming a Christian is involved in discipleship, making Jesus Lord master of our lives and realigning ourselves to him. And, and this is the one who said he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for others. This is the one who actually is all that, but chose to make himself nothing right. And take the, the form of a servant, even uh, humble himself, even the point of death. We, tomorrow's good Friday. We look at like the one who is, all that who will because of that every knee will bow every tongue confess to the glory of god 
he is the one who's the example and teaches us, no, that's not the way. The way up isn't self-glorification. It's to humble ourselves under God and be a servant of others. And then in the end, we have to kind of trust that God will see and take care of uh, our hearts and souls and, and bless us. Like, uh, you know, as the great creator who loves us, that he's going to take care of what we need in terms of compassion, grace, and even acknowledgement. I, I shared this passage with Mike uh, before we started that, that God is not so unjust to overlook things, right? When others might overlook, this is in Hebrews uh, chapter 6, um, uh, for God is not so unjust to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name, serving the saints as you still do. Uh, and so we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So like, it's just a different way of going about it. We could love people. People, I believe, Mike, we know this, right? People are in Christian ministry for the glory of their own name, probably, right? Um, but we're in it for a different reason. And so we serve uh, to love God. We serve to love people. And in the end, even if we're unseen, unacknowledged, underground saints, only God knows. We know okay. God. God sees. Yeah. This is hard. This is very difficult. I mean, Mike, even like I was thinking, how can we do a podcast on this, right? Um, uh-huh. Because, you know, Reed, you have a podcast called The Gospel Underground, but you want people to listen, don't you? Yeah, we kind of do. We, we kind of want to have a voice. Uh, wh- but the question is why? And and mm-hmm. I even joke with Jesse, our, my co-host here on The Underground, Mike, about like, well, how do we counteract that? And so we've said we do no ads, we're doing no advertisement, we're only grassroots marketing, uh, we're not driven by celebrity interviews. I mean, I know famous Christian mm-hmm. people, like, pretty well. They were like, hey, let's get famous mm-hmm. person on here to make mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it's still a struggle, right? We we fail to live up to our ideals. Even the Gospel Underground as a ministry, we have five guiding principles or philosophies of what we try to do. We want to be thoughtful and respectful in our engagement with people. Um, that means people in culture, ideas, thoughtful as we do it, respectful to human beings. Underground, behind-the-scenes ministries, we want to root and establish things. That means we value depth, mentoring and coaching, other people, right, helping others, and then the primacy of the family and the local church, meaning we're not trying to build a big ministry ourselves. We want people's families and churches to thrive thrive. That's kind of ours. But one of those I shared with you, Mike, underground, behind this scenes ministry, we just describe it this way. We do not desire to be center stage in life and mission, but to joyfully and intentionally serve in a behind the scenes fashion. If we can be the most impactful and influential people that no one has ever heard about, uh, we will be grateful for this post in the kingdom. Mike, I wrote that some days I don't believe it at all, and I'm mm-hmm. seeking glory, seeking attention, wanting people to see me, see me what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so this is literally something I just wrestle with immensely of wanting to be seen and known, but at the same time knowing, oh, that's not the path for us as Christians. And, mm-hmm. and, and even writing that, putting that on paper, we're going to try. Mm-hmm. Mike, describe Yeah, because you're, you're reading that. It's, as you're reading, I'm following along with you in the notes. I'm thinking this is so good. I mean, underground behind the scenes ministry. And as you're reading, I'm thinking this is so good. And then yet you described it really well. There's the tension that we still are sinful. We're not with Jesus yet. 
uh, when we be when we're going to be with him and have I mean it's like oh my goodness it's all going to be perfect yeah. and you know read um, there's a book that a guy put together on the letters of John Newton you know the one who wrote yeah. Amazing Grace and yeah slave captain well, he, got converted repudiated yeah. the slave trade wrote well, some great songs he's got yeah. a he's got a chapter called let's see if I can remember this. The advantages of remaining sin. Wow. The advantages. Yeah, that's a great. So when I, when I first heard that, I'm thinking, what? Yeah, exactly. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, you know, I I read it and, and it, because God didn't just take away our sinful nature, we're still dealing with it. Yeah. You know, one of the advantages is just, I can't, I mean, when, when I say I can't, like Christians, we can't believe that the grace of God is just so good for us. Even though our hearts are still sinful, and that doesn't give us license to sin, Yeah, there's like five or six other advantages, but yeah. it just like, oh, Lord, thank you that you're just so gracious and kind with us. Yeah. Because yeah. if it really was based on that yeah. we really don't sin much at all. Yeah. And our motives are like 95% pure all the time. I mean, we would be toast. Yeah. We'd be I arrogant. Mean, we think we did it ourselves. We would think, Oh yeah, I don't need God anymore. And that's uh boy, that's a bad place for, for us to be. But this is hard. I mean, I can write something and think, gosh, sometimes I believe that I want to live that way, but I, I don't mm-hmm. always, I don't always. Mm-hmm. This hit me, Mike, in a class. I did seminary, a uh, master's of divinity degree over 20 years, like first class to last class. Too long, ridiculous. It's usually a three-year process, you know, in residential. And they want you done in seven or so if you're doing online or external. Um, I just ridiculously begged and pleaded for mercy to keep going. <laughs> and they never... They never threw away my credits, thank God. But I had to re-enroll a few times. I had to pay in re-enrollment fees. and all that. It was ridiculous. But I had a class towards the end of it. So I'd been a pastor for a long time. In fact, I was uh, in this ministry role and had been a pastor 12 years, and I was taking introductory introduction to pastoral ministry. And uh, one of my mentors, I'm not going to name names right now, said, well, you should be teaching that class. You're not going to get anything out of that. And I was like, oh, I don't need to hear that. That's bad. No, no, no. I need. There's something I can learn there. But uh, my, my point in, in sharing this is that there was a story in that class where the professor, who was younger than me, he was a grad student, great guy, and he was sharing, he was kind of got on the soapbox against Christian celebrityism or like we shouldn't celebrityize pastors or something. And so he was just like, going at it. I was like, yes, yes, yes. And then at the end, I was like, okay, what are we going to do about that? Like, are we going to keep participating in that culture? And he goes, what do you mean? I was like, oh, for instance, there's a large conference that had like a basketball jerseys on guys that were pastors. Like, hey, like you're going to see the dream team of Michael Jordan or something. And, uh-huh. and this was the marketing piece to promote this conference. Are, let's, how about we not go to those things? Let's not participate. And he said, Oh, but I love that conference because I met with God there and I just loved it so much. And the speakers were amazing. I was like, ah, what do we do? I don't know. So this is hard for us, hard for me, hard for you. The reality is we, all of us, I believe, are made by God for God, right? Um, the old uh, Augustine uh, Augustine quote, the, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God, right? There's this reality Um Pascal, the French mathematician, said that each, each you have a cross 
God-shaped void in our heart that, that only God can fill. We seek glory because we're made for it. We're made mm-hmm. to worship. Um, we just twist that. We worship other people. We worship ourselves. We worship our boyfriend, our girlfriend. It gets messed up. In fact, years ago, I read a book like by a man named Joseph Campbell. And when I speak on university campuses, I usually ask people, hey, have you ever heard of Joseph Campbell? Most people never heard, heard of them, him. And then I'll say, hey, anybody heard of George Lucas? And a few more hands, you know, will go up. And then I'm like, how about Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker? And of course, the whole room hand goes up. But Joseph Campbell wrote a book called The Hero Has Many Faces. This book uh, in his in his work was read by George Lucas, uh, and then obviously he wrote films that kind of took these ideas. That what Campbell discovered is that throughout cultures and civilizations throughout the world, geographically and throughout history, there's been these myth makings and stories, even religion creations, that have kind of a similar paradigm. There's this kind of meta story. Uh, that that happens, and it usually involves a tragic reality. The world is in darkness and broken, and then some hero goes off on a journey, a quest, or discovery to become something, and then returns to conquer and, and bring salvation, so to speak. And so, it's very, very common to have this story of redemption. Now, is that just a byproduct of evolutionary naturalism, or is that the, the story of reality? And maybe there is a hero. What and what is his name? Obviously, he's Christians. I look at that and say, well, people long for that because we were made for that. And the rescuer does and will come, and, and it will be a son from afar from the kingdom uh, coming to save his own. Um, we need God. We need Jesus. Um, we substitute other heroes, right? Who's your hero is the, the episode uh, title. Um, self? Are you going to be the hero of your own story? Uh, Mike, what what would be some problems if someone said, "Hey, I'm the hero," and and look, uh, Katy Perry is saying, "I went from zero to my own hero," right? Uh, what's the problem with that? Well, we kind of we kind of joke. Um, a friend once said that <clears throat> you know, as athletes, you can love your sport, but it it doesn't love you back. That's right. That's and right. we just make really poor gods, little G. We just, yeah. we just do when it's all about us, we, and especially if somebody comes close, I know we're maybe getting this a little later, but yeah. like with Saul and David, yeah, yeah. if somebody gets close to you and that could be a potential rival in what you're doing, yeah. man, it's like, Hey, jealousy, hatred. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff just starts eating you alive. That's right. And that's the thing is. We just become weary of trying to, you know, as our pastor said, he says, sometimes I feel like you, you people, when you come into the church, you feel like I've got this big beach ball and I just got to keep knocking it up in the air, keeping you afloat or keeping myself afloat. And that just gets weary. Yes. And it just, yes, we're not made for that. I I think, man, Mike, that is like, you're bringing up David and Saul. Like if for, for those of you who are unfamiliar, this is a story in the Old Testament of Saul, who's the king, and David, a young warrior, having success. And rather than rejoicing in the subordinate success of David, Saul gets jealous, right? And so when, when you're your own hero, other people become threats to your kingdom. 
right? Yes. If you're, you know, my dad gave me this before I went to college. If you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. Meaning like in dog sledding, like you're always looking up <laughs> someone's behind. Um, this is bad, right? Cause like, look, everyone is either an asset to your kingdom building and your heroic life you're living, or they're a threat to you. Now, now think about that friends for a second. If you're living life with self as your own hero, your own God, everyone has to either be someone useful to that journey or someone who's a threat to your throne. Well, that's not going to lead to good relationships, let alone with God who you're dethroning or, or other people. These are just poor pathways. The acknowledgement that we need a hero is good, but Hey, maybe I'm not the, not the right one comparison, right? The Saul and David thing. Um, it's corrosive. We've 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 experienced this, Mike, in both in sports. Hey, why can't I be like Dave Winfield or whoever baseball hero or or, or mm-hmm. and in ministry when other people get a lot of attention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even someone who wants the attention trying to get the attention gets it, and you're like, what the heck? What God? Why is this? Right? There's a lot in the Psalms, I think, on that. Lord, what do we do when the wicked prosper? Mm-hmm. Comparison will always corrode us because then we're making everything a, a, a useful to our purpose and kingdom rather than people to be loved uh, for God's sake and to be an extension of his grace and love to others. So when you're getting into this comparison game, uh, it, it never ends up well for us. It will eventually destroy ourselves or destroy others. Um The idea of self-exaltation, I read this years ago in Proverbs, Mike, Proverbs 30 says, if you have been foolish. Now, uh, the category in Proverbs of being a fool means not just an idiot, but like a morally deficient idiot, right? You're like, it's like the bad guy in Proverbs. The the wise, good guy. The simple, maybe you have some potential. You could learn and become wise or you might become a fool. So if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you've been devising evil, uh, put your hand on your mouth, right? <laughs> Shut, stop it, basically, right? For the pressing of milks produces curds, the pressing of the nose produces blood, and the pressing of anger produces strife. And this is what we get from self-exaltation, right? It's going to be painful. Other people aren't going to like you. Other people don't want to take you out. Other little potentates or little deities are going to try to dethrone you, and you make this world a chaos of warfare and anger and nothing but strife. And the Bible says we're being foolish when we're doing that. Not that people don't matter. Not that your successes and failures don't matter to God, right? It's just the wrong place for us to be is on the throne. Now, if we're not making a name for us, I've called this like nonsensical name making. If it doesn't make sense to make a name for ourselves, well, as a Christian, whose name can be great then in our lives? Just a Sunday school answer, I think. Absolutely a Sunday school answer. Yeah. The joke Casey used to tell me, like, you know, she grew up Baptist and in church. I didn't. I grew up, my dad's an agnostic atheist guide. And she said, yeah, anybody who's not paying attention in Sunday school, you get asked a question, you just say, Jesus, you might be right. right. But in this sense, if we're not making our own name great, um, that doesn't mean someone else can't be great through our lives. And that's 
Jesus himself, the early Christians understood this. This is something Paul, an early Christian preacher and leader, understood well. He was talking about his own calling in Romans 1. He said, through whom, Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name amongst the nations. He, he, he viewed his life as like, why am I sharing the gospel with others? Why am I discipling others? Well, for the sake of the glory of the name of Jesus amongst all the peoples, right, is what we live for. And, and other people, this is in Third John, one of these little tiny books at the end of uh, the New Testament, which talked about the motivation of early Christians doing what you do, Mike. You wander into my life when I'm a 19-year-old knucklehead not seeking God and, and introduce me to the grace of God and Jesus Christ. People were doing that. And this is Third John uh, 1, 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. Now, they're not going out for the sake of their name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And man, I know you're a regional director now. Mike, Mike, uh, is really good on campus with young people and probably said no to the regional director job for years and years and years. Um, you're doing that now, but what, what a good way for your staff or young, you know, I train young pastors and coach young pastors. What a wonderful way to see ministry going out for the sake of the name uh, and then supporting one another who do that and encouraging one another to try to have the posture where we're not building names for ourselves, comparing ourselves constantly, putting others down to make ourselves feel better, and then defeating rivals just to keep ourselves uh, mm-hmm. on the throne. Like the psalmist said, not to us, right? Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Mike, that's a phrase, right, that's always been interesting, glory. Like, what? what is glory? When the Bible talks about glory, if you want to glorify God, I, I know it's even kind of a hard question to answer, but what do you think of when you think of telling a young person, don't glorify yourself, but glorify God? What, what does that mean? That is a great question. I was talking with a, a Christian school about their athletic program, and the athletic director said, you know, our, our, part of our mission statement is as an athlete is to glorify God. And she said, frankly, <laughs> not many of this, they don't even know what that means. And, and not that they don't, but we don't. Like, what, yeah. what does that mean? Yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> it sounds so good. Yeah. And it's got to be in your mission statement because yeah. it yeah. just sounds so good. But <laughs> But practically, what does that really mean? So, I mean, am I really thinking much about abiding in Christ? Yeah. You know, daily, am I thinking, Lord, again, this is, Lord, it's your kingdom. It's not mine. And we just need to be reminded constantly by the Spirit of God that yes, God is very, he's gracious. He's working yeah. with you and through you and in you. Yeah. And he, he, he wants to use our lives, but if we're seeking, well, I have to be fruit. I have to do this Yes. so that I get noticed. Yeah. Then what we're really saying is 
you know, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is really not enough. Like, I I really need to be kind of, you know, the person who gets to credit. And so I think that's where it comes is. Yeah. Amen. For the glory of God. um, You know, hopefully it's, Lord, I, I, you know, again, in my mixed motives, I, I really do want you to be honored. I want you to be noticed. I want you to get credit. Um, so the, for the glory of God, there's seemed like there's something about yeah. wanting to honor him. His kindness leads us to repentance, wanting to confess our sin. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanting. Yeah. You can, you go ahead. I love the word honor that you just use there. It just, it's so, it, it just nails it for me. Is that like in all this and what all this, like we're, we're in the sports world. Other people are in arts world or newspapers or internet sites or media or conglomerate. Some are in government. Some are digging ditches. Uh, I, you know, some are driving a truck today, looking at diesel fuel prices, five, five dollars a gallon. Uh, all of that, right? Life, whatever arena of life, all of this stuff I do, everything, our desire would be that who's honored through it in my successes and my failures, who's honored there, who looks good, who gets the spotlight, who is really revealed and seen. We desire for that to be Jesus Christ, right? Lifted up. Um, Because why? Because from him, to him, and through him are all things. What do we have that we didn't receive? The whole world, every atom, every bit of space, time, and energy was created by God. Our individual lives and essences and personalities and stories are superintended and graciously given by God. What do we have that we didn't receive? Nothing. Why do we brag as if it's all us? Well, because we're sinful and broken. So the, the desire to glorify God is central to human life. It was central to the life of Jesus. Even he said, I came to glorify and do the will of my Father who sent me. Um, and for each of us, that's the struggle. That's even, it's even the, the struggle itself is a gift because we get to remember maybe when we mess up, maybe when we're like, you know, made our girlfriend, you know, anybody who wants to know human beings are a bad God, when your girlfriend breaks up with you, your boyfriend breaks up with you, like, oh, wow, they were a pretty poor God and Savior. The, the idea that God is gracious to allow us to repent and then have faith, that means our trust goes back to where it belongs, not to ourselves, not to our achievements, not to our accomplishments, but to him and the cross. I mean, we're headed towards Good Friday, where the sacrifice of Jesus on a cross becomes central to us, hopefully, and then Easter, where God's stamp of approval and his victory over sin and death, right? We, we got to know, hey, if I'm living this way, do, do we really win? We do, right? In the end, I think even the the unknown obscure author of Embracing Obscurity had a quote about uh, God put something in us that we need to look somewhere for. And I think Good Friday is a good reminder for that. Yeah, would you like... Uh... We've got a quote from the book. Read, would you like yeah, for me to read yeah, that? that? That would be perfect, yeah. It would ensure that no matter how far, I love this part, no matter how far Adam and Eve strayed from him, they would only feel complete once they returned. And perhaps our desire to be significant is a part of this divine homing device. Could it be that God embedded in each of us a desire to be significant, knowing it would be one of the very things 
to draw his elect to him. Because the truth is, if we really want to feel worse in the deepest, truest sense of the word, we need look no farther than the cross. In Calvary, we find that we are the treasure in the greatest pursuit of all time. Amen. And I, that divine homing device, when I read that, read that, there was something that changed. Instead of seeing, oh, I just want to be significant and known, there was something like, wait a minute. If, if that can be used to bring me to Christ consistently, then, okay, that's not necessarily a bad thing that, okay, Lord, now my, I see my worth is in you. I'm significant. And even if I'm not appreciated, and I don't mean just me, but any of us. Yeah, which, which happens to all of us, probably. Happens to all of us. Yeah. If, if we're not noticed, which happens, yeah. you're going to notice, Lord. Yeah. And what we maybe don't get now, what we're trying to seek now, he'll give that to us later. Yes. So yes. that there actually gave me hope. And yeah. if that's true, if seeking for significance can be a homing device, then I think, oh, wait a minute, we have a great opportunity in our culture with Instagram and social media and people wanting all this. It's like, wait a minute, that's an opportunity to actually say, yeah, we all have that, but there's that's one right. person who really can satisfy. Amen. My friend J.R. Vassar wrote a book called Glory Hunger, that we have this desire and hunger for it, a homing device. And God wants that to, to be drawn to the water that quenches the thirst, right? The one that does satisfy um, the thing we should seek in on. And that's not ourselves. Um, I even think seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. As well, everything that we need will be in the end given to us. And this is why the hope we have is not in this present age, Uh, an age where you get sick, an age where our loved ones die, an age where people sin, an age where wicked people do injustice and get, get over on it, right? And succeed, quote unquote, in it. And we have to know that there's something greater, that the coming realities of the kingdom of God are greater still in his purpose and way for the human soul now on the earth, being satisfied with him and turning aside from sin and death uh, is the better way. And that's where Jesus would call us and say, narrow is the way that leads to life, broad is the way. Lots of people running over this glory cliff. He would say, no, it shouldn't be so with you, but instead uh, humble yourselves before me, uh, is the right place to be, and then he will exalt you in his time. And the Bible uses this language, Mike, of uh, glor- we will be glorified with him. Uh, one of the early church, African church fathers, Athanasius, actually had the word deification, which a lot of people are uncomfortable, especially us Protestants, we're uncomfortable with. It's like, what is it? You will be partakers of the divine nature, right? In the end, we will be glorified with him. We don't become God, right? That's reserved for him but we become like him. And I think C.S. Lewis, the one that said, if you could see yourself or another person in their future glorified state, you would worship them, right? This is the destiny of the follower of Jesus. Isn't death and decay in the grave. It's resurrected in life and immortality in a kingdom that's of light and love and has no end. 
That has to be the promise that draws us forward to humble ourselves, to realize, to love and serve uh, and not make it all about ourselves. And when we do, because we do, to repent and trust in the one who will lead us forward to the end. Mike, thank you as a man for, um, I know you're not going to like to hear this, but thank you for exemplifying this to me. Um, I, I say this all the time that God sent you to present Jesus to me because, um, you know, sent a guy like me, I would have argued with me. Um, but he sent a kind person. I used to say, Mike had this high pro glow about him. He just looked nice. And I just wasn't used to men being kind, um, and uh, patiently, uh, answer questions and share truth and point me right in the way of the crucified savior, which changed my life, changed my attorney. Thanks for being an underground saint. And I'm not going to give you a word on that because you'll be like, oh, no, don't say, no. but thank you for being who you are, living this life underground. Thank you guys for listening in today. Our podcast is produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House and Jesse Fury. Review us on iTunes. We want five stars because we want all the glory, Mike. (laughs) Send comments, feedback. Actually, we want more people to listen. Any comments, feedback, questions, hypocrisies you want to throw our way. Send it to us at info at gospelunderground.org. We're a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and our self-exalting culture, Mike. Thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Peace.